Hello, I'm Dina Graham, Creative and Operations Lead at the Tele Awards. Welcome to the Tele Awards Podcast, a podcast that brings together two leaders from the video and television community with similar expertise in different disciplines to share their craft, debate their differences, and find common ground in their forms of storytelling. On today's episode, our Executive Director Sabrina Dridge sat down with Navid Kansari, formerly of Rockstar Games and founder of award-winning studio Ink Stories, as well as Felicia Pride, founder of production company Honeychild and writer and producer on mega-hit show Grey's Anatomy. Both of our guests have years of experience writing for very different mediums, interactive non-linear gaming on the one hand and episodic television on the other. What can we learn about form and structure? Does a gaming writing room exist? How do both of these writers use their very different platforms to shine a light on current events and spotlight very unique and often underrepresented human stories? Have a listen to find out. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Naveed, Felicia, thrilled to welcome you both to the Telly Awards podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited to obviously just introduce you to each other as humans first, creative humans, but also kind of dive into the world of writing specifically through the lens of gaming and interactivity with the work that Naveed, you do, um, and in terms of television and film um, for you, Felicia. But let's just get some background first. Naveed, hello. Would love to hear from you, um, your trajectory. Um, you've obviously played integral roles in gaming franchises such as Grand Theft Auto and Max Payne when you were working at Rockstar. Um, and now you run an award-winning, immersive... I actually want to hear how you kind of define the work you do at Ink Stories, but tell us how you got into this whole world um, and just kind of your journey from rock star to to what you're doing now would love to hear that for sure well well thanks and thanks for having me here and and what a pleasure to be here with felicia as well excited to dig into actually what what she's doing because my stuff seems so boring to me now but uh but maybe a little quick background on myself so i actually went to film school and so that's kind of where i got my 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 understanding of kind of storytelling storytelling has been a big part of my life since i was a kid culturally through my grandmother i grew up in iran and many of the stories were passed down kind of through my families that way. So it's something that's always interested me as a kid, put a sparkle in my eye. And the fact that I could actually make it into a career was 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 a dream. So after film school, I made my first feature. Um, and once I kind of completed that, I really understood what independent filmmaking was like um, and understood the uh, elements of, of cinematography, editing, sound design, how all of these different elements of filmmaking contribute uh, to storytelling. And so when I was met up with uh, the good folks at Rockstar, uh, they were looking at bringing that same kind of cinematic tone and vibe um, and, and, and elements and, and trickery, if you want to call it, mm-hmm. to, to games. They wanted their games to feel like movies. And so that was the GTA 3 was the first game that I got to work on. And obviously that did very, very, very well uh, and opened up the doors for us to kind of continue um, making games that had a good balance of of entertainment and fun uh, in terms of the mechanics, but also very much in terms of the storytelling, you know, really digging into the characters. And I think that's really what also allowed GTA to really kind of stand out was you were doing some crazy things, but at the same time, you were digging the characters, you were laughing at the narrative, at some of the things that you were doing, some of the characters you were coming across. And as games started to kind of grow and become more mainstream, we started seeing uh, talent coming towards us in terms of uh, 
well-known actors. You know, I, I got to direct folks everywhere from like Dennis Hopper to Ray Liotta to Miss Cleo to like, so it's the, the whole gamut of it. Um, and so it was really just creating this new cinematic language in this interactive kind of medium. And I got to do that at Rockstar for six years and was head of production at the same time while I was directing and also doing a lot of the writing as well. There's a lot of writers on games like this, just to give you a rough idea. That oh, we're going to get there. Yeah. Get into <laughs> these that. scripts can run, run, you know, well over, uh, you know, 1200 pages from, from the main material to what you're giving to additional characters. So, um, so yeah, so that, that, that was an incredible experience. And then I felt like, um, after having done three of the GTAs and been at Rockstar, it was time to go back to my storytelling, like film telling roots. So I actually, my immediate uh, project right after that was a documentary that I shot with my partner, Vasiliki, who is also my wife and uh, a visual anthropologist. And through the process of making two feature docs together, I just saw this incredible opportunity to use interactive medium to tell stories about real people. And that's something that's always, as I said, you know, going back to my grandma, that's always been the real stories that has that little element of magic in it that just kind of makes you feel like you can connect to it, but then also kind of be a bit of a dreamer. So it was a combination of that. So we just pursued this path of we while the rest of the industry was looking at how to kind of mimic what Hollywood was doing with action movies and kind of following those particular pillars for success, we were like, well, let's look in the exact opposite direction. Let's mm -hmm. look at what people aren't doing. And what we saw was real stories weren't really being told. And yet gaming is, is such a powerful medium because it really allows you to be in the shoes of the other and experience the others. So so we just we just we just jumped into that and we, we went on to make um, a game about the Iranian revolution called 1979 Revolution that puts you on the streets as a young uh, 18 year old boy who's just come back for from his first year abroad, all the way to uh, an episodic narrative series for Google called Fire Escape, which is an homage to Hitchcock's Rear Window, but also deals with gentrification in Brooklyn. So our goal has always been to make something that entertains and through the medium allows you to kind of passively kind of educate or at least, you know, open people's eyes to it. We went on to do a location-based VR experience called Hero that did quite well, which was um, a fully haptic uh, experience that put you on the streets of Syria and try to kind of take away these ideas that we have of images of places that have been bombed as just being quiet and desolate, but actually show real life to it, allow you to connect to that life the same way that you connect to your, your friends, the coffee shop, the people in your neighborhood, and then see what happens when when a catastrophic bomb or something drops and how you have to help each other. And I think that was an incredible piece that allowed people to kind of connect to the material. But I think for the first time we were getting feedback that experiences like this were, were changing people's kind of quote unquote DNA of their memories, where they actually felt it. So when they were reading the newspaper, they felt like they had experienced it and had, had, had much greater impact on them. Definitely. So we've kind of continually, you know, continued going down this path. I, I think, you know, when you ask me, like, how do we identify what Ink Stories is? Uh, Ink Stories is, uh, is a creative studio uh, that has been fortunate uh, to work in multiple different mediums. And so everybody in our studio is a writer, first and foremost. And then we let the material dictate what the medium should be. And so we've jumped into games. Um, presently, we're developing this TV series. We've got two feature films. 
two games, a couple of VR experiences. So we're basically just letting the stories that we want to tell tell us, quite honestly, what how they should be kind of told. And, and we just kind of follow that path. Amazing. You've also just usurped all my questions I was going to ask you, Naveed, and drill into. <laughs> you don't even need me to be here. It's fascinating. Uh, good night, everybody. <laughs> but we'll definitely, I want to circle back at the end because something that you have as a common ground with Felicia is your work and how you can, how you weave current events and historical events and just have impact with writing in different forms. But we'll, we'll come back to that towards the end. But thank you for, for the context because you've done a lot along the way. As has Felicia, you wear obviously many, many hats now. We were just saying how you have multiple plates spinning in the air at any one time. And among other things, you're currently a writer and producer on mega, 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 mega hit show Grey's Anatomy and developing yourself multiple projects. Um, share with us how you got from, I saw you used to work in film distribution, so that end of things. How did you kind of find your way through to, to writing over, over the years? Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me also. And that was so wonderful to hear about Navid. I want, I'm so excited to hear more. Um, but I actually started, you know, I started as an entertainment journalist way back in the day, almost 20 years ago. And that morphed into my dream was to write the great American novel. So <laughs> I went back to school. <laughs> I went to Emerson for writing literature and publishing. And But I always had sort of a business sense of things. And mm -hmm. when I learned about the business of publishing, I was like, oh, this, this model doesn't really make sense. But I ultimately started working in New York book publishing. Um, and then that morphed into writing books myself. One of the books I wrote was called The Message, 100 Life Lessons from Hip Hop's Greatest Songs. And that book, I found myself basically developing, you know, what we call now like an impact plan for it, right? So we had curricula, we had teacher's guides, we had trainings, we had all these things that were extensions of that book. Um, and that pushed me into becoming what we call now impact producer, right? So I would develop high scale campaigns for social justice projects. Mm -hmm. I would work with PBS and NPR and participant media and places like that to develop those uh, projects. And during that time, I also stopped writing, which was the biggest mistake I could have oh, made no. in my life. I was really focused on building this, what was essentially a marketing consultancy, right? Building this company, being in service of other creatives and helping their projects reach audiences. Um, and then it came to a point where I was like, okay, I'm burnt out. And also I want to get back to my writing. And But books just didn't feel like my form anymore. Books felt very challenging and difficult. Uh, when Navid said 1,200 pages, I just got <laughs> triggered, <laughs> like <laughs> thinking about that. So I started to self-teach, you know, screenwriting. Um, I started to just read a whole bunch of scripts, and it just felt like a great mesh between the economics of journalism or the efficiency of journalism, right, with the imagination of fiction. Um, and so I moved to L.A. with one script in hand, which wow. became the movie Really Love, which premiered on Netflix. Um, and and then I realized also, too, and Navi probably can speak to this, that film can be very much a director's medium. So as a writer, uh, television just provided more opportunities. Uh, so I started to learn the structure of television and get into television and really feel like, even though I love features, TV is like my <laughs> So I was eventually staffed on a show called Queen Sugar, which is uh, Ava DuVernay's show, um, which was amazing storytelling. You know, it's a show created by a director, so it has a very specific visual language, a very specific way of storytelling, and did that, and then went to Grey's Anatomy, which is a juggernaut of like the 
a model for broadcast procedurals, you know, one of yeah. the models for broadcast procedurals and much bigger episode order. And what I realized being in writer's rooms is that you never really have the opportunity to tell long form storytelling in that way until you get into a room because you're really just writing pilots. So being able to track characters and journeys over 16, 17 seasons or over one season, over two seasons has been very gratifying. And then I continue with my feature work, um, you know, working in the studio space now, which is a different type of feature writing versus independent features, which Navi talked about, um, where you have to have tent poles, you have to have, you know, big sort of um, moments. And so, uh, yeah, and then now I'm starting my production company called Honey Child, which is dedicated to telling stories for or created by honeys, which are Black women like myself who are over 40. And we want to be in audio. We want to be in digital. We want to be in film, TV, and books. And so, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Amazing. Amazing. You already touched on something I'm going to come back to also, which is thinking around how you write for the short term versus a through line through time. But we're going to come back to that. But you mentioned it, so I wanted to say it was definitely a question for me. But starting big picture, I was thinking about the environments that you're actually kind of writing in. And that did, of course, lead me to thinking about the writer's room, the classic writer's room. Would love to hear from you, Felicia, what that process is like. You know, how do you get an idea from script to screen in that world? And I guess the foil or the question then for Navid is, is there a writer's room context in gaming? Like how are ideas getting pitched and how are things getting from idea to to the game? But Felicia, tell us more about how that writer's room setting is and, and as a writer, what that process looks like. Yeah. I mean, when a writer's room is healthy, it is one of my favorite places because it is essentially a bunch of brilliant people coming together and talking about story all day long. <laughs> like, And you get paid for it. And also not only do you get paid for it, you get paid to learn how other people talk about story, right? How other people think about story, how other people approach story. It just leads to this beautiful magic, right? Of like, you see how an idea can start out as something that's very small. And then you have these different voices and perspectives and approaches to story adding on top of that. Um, and so usually at like the start of a season, Typically in rooms, you start to think about like, you start from a theme standpoint, right? Like, mm -hmm. what is it that we want to say or explore or think about this season, right? Um, what do we owe from last season in terms of well, very practical, practically speaking, plot and things that were left? But it's often very theme driven. And then you sort of distill that theme into characters. Like how then do we want these characters to bump up against this theme? How do we want these characters to explore be, or interact with this theme? And then you start to feel like plot points bubble up mm -hmm. through that. And a lot of times we call it blue skying, where sometimes it's just like, we would just love to see a character, you know, jump off a building. I don't know. Yeah. But there's a there's a level of like um, dreaming that can happen as well as as it also approaches sort of the practical. And then once you have an idea of sort of a broad theme of the season and how characters are going to interact with that, then you start to do, you drill down more into an episodic space where mm -hmm. you start to think about how can these broad strokes fall into episodes. And it can be very challenging when you have a 20 episode order versus a 10 episode order or a 12 episode order. Um, but you start to break it down in that way. Um, and then when you start to see that you have a, a shape for episodes, then what happens is usually a, a writer is assigned an episode. 
Okay. And that writer then runs the room of that episode. The writer, you know, it's like, okay, these are some of the things that we want to have in this episode. These are some things I was thinking about having this episode. I need your help to think about how we can actually make this into an episode. I mm-hmm. need your help to think about what each character is going to do in the episode. I need your help to think about um, the specific theme of this episode and how it might relate to the broader theme. And then you go through the writing process, which may be story areas, outline, script, getting feedback from the room as through that process. And yeah, but the other thing I think that is interesting too about, and I'm sure Navi can speak to this as well, is that this is actually going to get made, right? So it's not theoretical. It's not hypothetical. Like we spend a lot of time and when you're not in the room, you write pilots for two years, Mm -hmm. you know, that has 10 explosions in the first five pages. But this you have to actually write to be produced. There are going to be people who are going to use this script and take it very seriously and very literal to make it. Right. Um, So that changes the dynamics of the relationship with writer and page and with writer and story. How much time do you have to turn it around? I mean, I I tell writers who are emerging, you know, yes, you wrote your your pilot by candlelight over the past two years, but you're going to have five days, yeah. you know? Yeah. So the more that you can write well fast, and that's why sharpening that story muscle is so, so critical and vital. Amazing. Naveed, how does that resonate with your process on your end? There's definitely elements of them that are quite similar, um, but we see ourselves in terms of as kind of like more world builders. Mm-hmm. So we take a, we, because we, we, we have to create everything from the ground up. There's, we have like this uh, blank canvas. And so as a result, we have to not only determine what might be the conflict, um, let's say for our protagonist, but what is the world that the protagonist actually lives in? What are the rules of that world? Because we can make any kind of rules. We're not grounded. Uh, we're not have to relate it to anything that's real or unreal. So that that becomes kind of where we really kind of start off with, which is mm-hmm. that uh, initially in our studio, one of us will have an idea about a particular world or something from the real world that we see as as a conflict that that exists but has been untouched or needs to have more light kind of shed on it. And then where's the actual humanistic element of connect you know how can we connect to it as just individuals as humans as people regardless of like cultural and race how do we transcend that so that it becomes actually a global kind of story slash experience and then we start kind of just riffing on on the world that this could exist and and in the same way once we start actually defining the world conflict comes up and Mm -hmm. plot points kind of come Mm -hmm. up and so then we start seeing what's taking place and that's really just kind of like half of the equation because the other half of the equation is what's the actual mechanic that's going to get people to engage with this right so like you know traditional mechanics for those that might not be familiar which is like you could could, is it a first person shooter so if it's a first person shooter it's pretty obvious conflict is in front of Mm -hmm. you you got to terminate it with bullets and kind of move forward. If, if it's uh, a choose your own adventure, that becomes much more of like a narrative choice. Make the, cho- the choices that you make have consequences. You have uh, an assortment of other kind of games, open sandbox games where you can just kind of explore the world all the way to like Farmville where you're just like trying to have the most <laughs> set of crops. And so you just gotta, <laughs> you know, gotta make sure you get that windmill and you get that. Even that's world building. And while that might not necessarily have a, a definitive narrative that's character based, it's it we see the player as the main character. Yes. And they're going through this story. And so as a result, we're building the story around them. And that's where the challenge kind of comes up because if you try to become 
everything to everyone, it becomes watered down and, and, and has no kind of impact. So you do need to commit to, to some major pillars. You need to commit to some form of, 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 a, of a three act kind of overall uh, architecture to the experience. But you also have to recognize that at times the, the protagonist is controlled by somebody else and they might not be interested in, in parts of the story that you're telling and, and will disconnect and go to other parts. So you're also, by building this world, uh, you're creating multiple different stories. And that's why you see like games will have the, the, the gameplay and then it'll go to cutscenes because that allows us to kind of bring people back to what the overall narrative world is exactly but then if you want to go off and do your thing just know that if you ever come back to this one particular area this will allow you to kind of continue the narrative so for us you know um we're fortunate in the studio that everybody has a, a good combination of, of, of writing skills um storytellers and um and then also the mechanical aspect we, we've understand just because we all play a ton of games uh, so that's kind of the hybrid of, of, of what we've kind of created. But story has always been, whether it's been games, whether it's been virtual reality, whether it's been uh, our, our films and, and our episodic uh, series stuff, it's always been the story just kind of pushes everything along, build the world. And then in line with what Felicia said, it's, it's amazing how what kind of floats to the top in terms of conflict and, and being in that room with people who are like-minded and are thinking, um, it's a great room to be in when you can just pass the baton and kind of get blown away by one of your colleagues' idea and then just be able to riff on it. Right. And that becomes solidified by the whole team. And, and we just kind of do that. Um, we use a lot of the traditional methods of storytelling. You know, we cue, you know, get those cue cards up there. Do they even call them cue cards? It's probably post-its <laughs> Post now. Notes. I, just, they, sure. I just age myself. So. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you get the post-its up there and we really just kind of flesh it out. We also have the luxury because the medium is most often animated that we can jump in with our concept artist. And so we can start fleshing out what these characters are going to look like from race to gender and then clothing. And then so the characters start coming to fruition, not just on paper in terms of what, how we want to define them, but also through the interpretation of an artist. So it, be, it becomes a great collaborative kind of almost writing narrative experience. It's interesting because you hit on a few things that were in my mind. One is, do you need to understand game mechanics to be able to write for games? And it sounds like absolutely, or at least an understanding of the different types of games that exist. And then secondly, that the parallel between Felicia and you is that regardless of what medium you're writing for, the foundations of writing, whether it's a five-act structure or three-act structure, really hold true. And Felicia, in your world, do you think of your work in terms of the classical structures that exist like that? Like the, the hero, the tension, the re resolution? Well, I, do, I also want to go back to something Naveed talked about in terms of mechanics, mm -hmm. you know, figuring out what the mechanic is. I think for TV, we, we kind of consider that the drive, like that what is the drive that actually makes it a television show, right? Because there's a difference between, sometimes it's a feature because there isn't that drive, but what's going to, things have kind of changed now, but what's going to either make people tune into the next episode mm -hmm. if you're streaming and binging or tune in next week? What is going to propel this show from week to week? And, you know, one drive is the case of the week, right? Or the patient of the week, which is procedurals. But sometimes the drive may be a more serial where it's a murder. So you're tuning in to find out what's happening to solve this case that goes over the course of the season. But that's often what can separate television from film is like you need this sort of 
propel something that's propelling the episode from week to week or mm-hmm. episode to episode. Um, but yeah, we actually absolutely use classic structure, um, or you have to have an understanding of classic structure if you then want to, you know, sort of dismantle it. And even if there's different words, if people don't use hero or they don't use journey or whatever the words they use, it's still kind of the same thing in terms of needing your your character to have to want something, right? Right. And having Motivation. obstacles mm-hmm. in that way, you know, like it's very the very simplistic view of that is absolutely still the the foundation of, of a lot of the storytelling. And then it just again, you know, some shows like Queen Sugar was five acts, Grey's is six acts, and as long as you kind of understand what that means, you can very easily adjust. That's interesting to hear that that is the the common thread because you know a lot of the people who we kind of work with day to day are thinking of their careers in more interchangeable ways for example doing multiple things in multiple disciplines and of course with all the things converging that makes sense now I was really curious to kind of ask you both do you think then it's possible to be a writer interchangeably for television and gaming can we kind of translate our skills in that way and it sounds like potentially there's definitely parts that are kind of just foundational writing skills that could translate but then of course learning more about the specifics of the medium and the form, of course, are going to be critical to someone being able to to move across. But Naveed, what's your take on that? It's a really good question and an interesting question because obviously we're working in both of these mediums presently. I think what's interesting is that maybe we represent like this weird kind of group in, in, amongst these writers. And I should say specifically more in terms of gaming. The way that gaming writers, uh, writers that work in interactive have kind of been brought on, uh, there's been an interest directly from them initially in interactivity or games. Mm -hmm. And then they've seen writing as what their kind of special sauce is to bring into that collaborative kind of team. The through through our process of of collaborating with uh, a number of uh, incredibly exceptional uh, TV writers uh, in our previous works, We've come to really learn, you know, the, the conflict engine, that the, the things that Felicia kind of referred to, like what's going to bring you back to that next episode. And so th- that element of storytelling is a craft in its own and having to understand what are the, what are the, the rules, the do's and don'ts, where you can kind of be a little bit more free, where you need to make sure you stay within the structure. So I think it's more of the learning a- aspect of it um, from games over to, to television. I think television writers could, um, with the with the right partners who understand the mechanics, can be um, e- easily kind of come over and, and, and work in that discipline as well. Uh, so I think it's more the challenges that exist uh, are more from a game. I think a game writer trying to make it into into more traditional narrative kind of mediums rather than people from film and television. The challenges exist for writers from film and television is that they recognize very much a linear path in terms of their storytelling mm-hmm. and the fact that, you know, that doesn't exist, that the, that the linear narrative is controlled by the player and they can mess around with it as they will. So it's like, okay, maybe we now write to a world where we're creating pockets of stories that can be experienced. And then however that order is, it cannot have an impact on the larger. So I've, I've found that, that the material that's come from, from TV and, and, and film writers has been exceptional 
but it, they've been unbelievably frustrated as we just kind of come back and say, well, A, we need more material and B, we need to just widen it up. Yeah. And I think that that, that becomes kind of a little bit, it just, and that's just from, from experience in terms of like, if you played a lot of games, then you're starting to realize, oh, okay, that's how it works. So, but I do feel like all of this stuff is merging together. And I think hopefully if we can have it, we're just taking the best of both and then bringing it together, it should be pretty exceptional. Yeah, I thought that's interesting. Well, I just had a thought that like, you know, I think that television writing is very directive, right? Because what Navid is saying is like, the the player is going to explore things that you might not have wanted them to explore in this moment. Right. And I even just think about directing and how directing often you're directing the eye to something specific, right? Mm -hmm. Like you want the audience to see something very specific, whereas gaming it just allows this openness that I could see would be very frustrating to tell to writers and even directors who are used to directing the emotion directing the 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 eye directing the sort of path so that that was just interesting to me definitely i feel like we should be playing a Grey's anatomy game i don't know if that's in your <laughs> in your future felicia <laughs> but Naveed would be your man <laughs> that would be a big game i could imagine that would be cuz like you know everyone thinks they're a doctor after exactly. watching Grey's anatomy <laughs> no i remember watching house and every time i'm at home i think i can be a detective in my own home <laughs> Well, I really want to move to this next portion of our conversation because both of you, as I said at the top, um, kind of are working on highlighting underrepresented stories and people and are finding ways to weave in critical current events and social injustices into your work. So I am changing gear a little bit into this kind of new section here. But Felicia, I believe you wrote on Grays during COVID and Black Lives Matter, and I'm sure so many things have happened in the world. How do you approach translating those current events and bringing them into storylines, especially when the topic might be divisive in some way? So in ways that kind of engage your audiences and and kind of spotlight an issue like that. How do you how do you go about doing that? Yeah, I think for me, like the one thing that's important is that it doesn't feel preachy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not interested in like soapboxes. I'm not, uh, what I'm really interested is in illum- illuminating humanity. So how do we make characters feel real, complex, layered, but also not trying to sort of prove their humanity to people, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, You know, as an impact producer, former impact producer, one of my beefs with the work was, you know, trying to prove someone's humanity to somebody else. Yeah. I, I don't believe in that work because <laughs> I'm like, if they don't believe it off jump, like anyway, that's a whole nother topic. I'm more interested in how can we have fully realized characters on television that are going through real life situations and make those characters culturally specific? How can we do it in a way that doesn't feel overbearing, that doesn't feel judgy? So I'm really sort of looking for truth more than anything. The pursuit of truth in my work is what I is what I go after. Thank you for answering so elegantly. And obviously on Navid's side, he mentioned at the beginning, whether it was your video game 1979 or Hero, which was the Syrian piece that quite literally I was thrown into at Tribeca with no context and was a very overwhelming experience. And you couldn't be more in the shoes of the character that, I mean, you literally were the character in in that world. And I know obviously Navid, you just spoke at South by a bit about kind of gaming and activism. Why do you think that games or immersive experiences are just a, a great 
platform for weaving in current events and, and activist work? And what do you think is critical when writing that kind of work? You know, how do you make it have such a huge impact? I think, you know, a lot of the principles that Felicia actually brought up is very much in line with the way that we're thinking. Preaching or trying to tell somebody what's right or wrong always backfires, mm. especially when it comes to uh, giving somebody the ability to choice to be able to do what they want to do in that world. Um, traditionally, I think by nature, when we put on these headsets or we want to play games, we're, we want, we're looking for a challenge and we're trying to figure out how, well, how, hey, maybe I can break this game or maybe I don't want to be told how I should be playing this game and I want to go about things my way. And I think that we've seen a lot of um, nonprofits come together with game developers to, because they see the medium as, you know, having such a huge impact and being, ha having the outreach that it does. And almost all those projects fail because they're trying to preach because there's the lack of subtlety in, in putting you in the shoes of the other. And, and also you have to be okay that you're not going to reach everyone, that, mm -hmm. that some people will get angry and some people will come at you and say what you're doing is wrong or, and I think that that's part of the, the, the great, kind of experiment of it all is that you, you put something out there. But I think for, for us, it's about connecting with, with things that we all have in common, right? And I think that we have so many things out in the world that's trying to tell us that everything is either black or white. And I think we are obsessed with the color gray because I think we see people who have who are generally kind, do the most atrocious things at times. And we have people that we want to point the finger to and say is a terrible person and see moments of kindness. And I think embracing that and, 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 and being able to connect with people through things that we, we all understand. We all understand uh, what it's like to possibly be a sibling, to be a best friend, to be a mother, to be a father, to be a sister, to be a brother. Uh, to lose, um, to to win, uh, all of these things, and then we bring this into the context of the experience. And I think, and I think for us also, we never come out of the gate trying to make that point. We actually try to get you in with real subtlety, so you're getting into the experience through through the mechanics. So you're like, oh, this is this is interesting. I'm kind of looking around. Oh, there's a little girl who's you know, with playing with her dog and maybe I could play a little bit fetch. And then it, it, it ramps up mm -hmm. and it builds up and you realize that all the things that we've been doing at the beginning is allowing you to kind of let your guard down, become a part of that world, and then kind of come in with these important um, parts of the experience that will hopefully move you. And I don't think we're looking to kind of change the world as we're really trying to take that conversation actually up to the let it float to the top let it let it be something that people are talking about i feel like um with so much of the work that we were doing and are doing it it's a direct conflict with how people are getting news through facebook and, and, right. and all these other mediums that are so quick to make their decisions and it's like hang on a second why don't you actually experience this why don't you understand this from the inside and then make it a part of your conversation? Mm -hmm. And I think that's been one of the rewarding factors of seeing people go through, whether it was Hero, whether it was, I mean, the, the greatest thing that I think I ever saw written about 1979 came from a group of Mormons out of Utah called, they have this game site called Game Church. And, you know, they were, thought it was the most beautiful spiritual piece that they'd ever done. And I felt like, wow, okay. 
that that's the kind of connection I want to be able to make with my material. So, you know, I think uh, I, I think it's it, it's a matter of, of of being subtle, not putting the agenda up front, putting humanity up front, and making sure we all connect to it, and then go about it. And, and interactivity is just a shoe in. I mean, you put on a VR headset, you're already kind of isolated. So mm-hmm. we have this incredible access to 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 your heart, your mind, and your tenderness. I, I just also wanted to add that I think that there is sort of sometimes a space to reconcile um, is that, you know, as television writers, you know, and I learned this in my first room, that we are image makers, right? And that sometimes what's good for the image isn't good for the story and what's good mm-hmm. for the story may mm-hmm. not be good for the image. And sort of always trying to reconcile those two, particularly when you know that you have a vast platform, uh, but then you want to tell a very honest and truthful story. There is some, you know, negotiating that has to happen. And I should imagine the the makeup of the writers in that room and the differences you might all have will be integral to that work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm sure the same with Naveed, you know, these are such, whatever medium you're working in, it's all about human stories. So the humans in the room are going to be the ones that are kind of driving how that comes across and manifests and it's presented. Just going to say that because of my partner Vasiliki's involvement and being a visual anthropologist, we actually very much go about the material through a documentary approach. So it's research, 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 because we just recognize that while we, want to tell that story that we don't know the story so you know we do a ton of research and usually we look I I grew up in Iran but I'm not Syrian that's for maybe people out in the west they clump it all together but I recognize the difference I recognize the cultural the religious the language differences even within Syria within the context of Arab worlds outside of Iran so we actually for Hero brought in Syrian refugees that had just arrived in the United States, we interviewed them. They became not only a part, uh, not only were they actually visual people that you'd see in the experience, when the project came to Tribeca, we brought them all on board to be the docents. So these are people who have actually gone through the experience, seeing other people go through the experience, and now on the tail end of it, they're actually helping walk, talk someone through. So there's just also this really incredible healing experience that kind of comes about from those who have suffered walking those through are kind of virtually suffering to, to understand this. And it brings it together. And I think with 1979, it was interview people that represent the entire spectrum, not one political agenda, but all political agendas, all religions, and see how they were all affected. And then through that, have the story kind of float up. Definitely. What I love about that is like, I've been really thinking about how you, how just an expansive view of the creative practice and how healing isn't just on the the tail end of the creative practice, but it's part of the creative practice. So I just love that as an example of that. Oh, I love it when that happens. <laughs> just a mutual appreciation of work. Well, listen, before we draw to a close, you are both working on a bunch of things. And I wanted to just ask you both what's coming down the pike. Felicia, obviously you have your production company, you have your podcast. Tell us more about what you're working on and what's coming down for you in uh, the rest of the year. I was about to say 2020, but that just tells you how time is just a construct at this point. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Well, I'm, you know, developing a show with Netflix that I'm really excited about. Um, I'm also developing a show with a friend of mine at FX. So really excited about those two projects. Um, I'm also looking to expand my directing. You know, I directed a short film called Tender. 
couple years back. Um, so I'm working on the script to my directorial debut, which I'm really Fantastic. excited about that. I want to shoot in Baltimore. It's a Baltimore-based story. And then we're building Honey Child. We did launch our first podcast, Child Please, which is just me and my friend Ivy talking about being black <laughs> women <laughs> over 40. Um, but we're really looking to get into the audio business. So I'll be launching another podcast where I talk to honey creatives about craft. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And then we're taking out our Slater projects. So feature films, television shows. And, and we're looking to, one of the points of Honey Child is to also be working with other honeys that have projects because I, first of all, I can't write them all, but also I don't have the perspective mm-hmm. to write all the projects and want to see, you know, dystopian YA pilots from honeys, want to see, you know, detective pilots, whatever the case is, but the range and gamut of stories. Fantastic. Oh, I can't wait to see what comes out for you this year. Thank you. And Naveed, what are you cooking over Ink Stories? If you can say. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We've got a, a project that's in development called Tormenta, which is um, a video game, um, but it's an all-female cast. And it's about uh, uh, two women who are, uh, who are escaping from prison but are chained together. And Ooh. so the dynamics of having to work together and in the moment when they escape into the force, the force has the ability for them to, for us as players to understand their backstory. And the one woman that we focus on, um, she is a coyote. So she's been she's been in prison because she's been helping in particular children to get across the border. And so in this process, um, she starts discovering, you know, about herself, what it takes, something that she locked out. And then the, the young woman that she's kind of chained to is this uh, very privileged white girl who's robbing her grandma's mansion and things went kind of wrong. And so the dynamics of the two of them having to work together in order to survive this this forest that has been able to kind of transcend nature and continually grows and, and dies and grows and dies in a very, very fast pace. So that's that's the one game. And my partner Vasiliki is, is, is leading that. Um, Andres, our other partner, has Two feature scripts right now. He just got uh, just got announced today on the Glad list and on the Blacklist. So we're going to be Amazing. developing the yeah. So we're we're going to be pushing those, and uh, and then we've got a couple. And then we've got this bigger. After all the experience that I've we've, we've had with social impact um, and with games in general, we're trying to kind of create. Not trying. We're going to create a world um, which is going to provide gamers and non gamers with joy our hmm. objective is to kind of allow you to communicate hang out with each other play these really small mini games that are inconsequential in terms of whether you win or you lose but hopefully just makes you laugh and we're going to take a sliver of brooklyn and kind of replicate it so from walking your dog in fort green park to going to the bodega to grabbing your shoes and tying the laces together and with a few friends and trying to throw it over the telephone cables. So these really interesting kind of fun one-offs, the connective tissue, I guess you would say like in the Grand Theft Auto games without the missions of having to go out and kick ass is always the thing that I enjoyed the most. The the radio commentary, the ability to go work out, the ability to hang out with your friends and, and do stupid things, ride your BMX bike. So really kind of focused on can we create a, a game that can be online and kind of be on the next wave of the web 3.0 and meta yep. and bring it together but focus on on joy 
and, and, and make people just kind of laugh and smile and, and be just, you know, just fun. And so that's right now we're calling it uh, Block Party Life. So, and we've brought on a, uh, an incredible art director. Uh, so it's this, like super pink and pastels and, <laughs> and, and all the fun stuff uh, that, that I'm kind of excited to get back to. So we, we got a lot of fun stuff kind I of going that. on and, uh, and, and excited for the next year. I think then you should actually do a block party in Brooklyn where everyone's coming <laughs> to meet and do that and play and, and be joyful. Amazing. There's definitely time. Absolutely. Well, with that, Felicia, Naveed, what an absolute pleasure to meet you both and to have you both in conversation uh, with us and with each other. Um, we really am grateful for your time and your work and your impact. And we're very much looking forward to seeing uh, what's coming what's coming next. But thank you. Thank you. That was great. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Today's episode was hosted by Sabrina Dridge and produced by me, Dina Graham. Our researcher is Matthew Midget. Our editor is Alex Healy. Music is by Luciano Music Company. You could find us on all the socials at Tele Awards. 